Well, one of the greatest things that uh, ever happened to me happened to me right before I walked on stage in the first service. I'm starting to walk towards the stage, and my 11-year-old and 9-year-old who are sitting next to my wife kind of give me a fist bump and a, go get them, Dad. And I can tell you that by the time I got back here, I nearly lost and it could hardly speak. And I thought, great, now I've got to pull it together. Um, with nearly 10 years of ministry, uh, I have been on the receiving end from someone who has called me before and said, guess what? I have some very unfortunate news. I have less than 30 days to live. And if you can imagine taking a phone call like that and then walking with that person and seeing their life change over the next 30 days, you see a person get really focused. You see a person get really intent about what their life means and what they're going to do and how they're going to impact people in those last 30 days they're going to live, how their priorities change. Well, I can tell you that as I've looked at the Scripture and as we get closer to Easter, I've seen that with one month to live, it impacted Jesus. And we're going to, as we lead up to Easter, we're going to retrace the steps of Jesus. We're going to take a look at what he did, what, what was important to him, what he got focused on when he realized, I've got one month to live. Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles, and, and if you don't have them, we have ushers that will come down the aisle, and they will share a Bible with you. If you don't have one, this is yours to keep. If you uh, just need to borrow it because you rushed out of the house and it's uh, uh, somewhere to be found when you get home, that's okay. Just set it on the, uh, the usher's table as you leave. But turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 9. I want to read the scripture today. This gives us a, a look at Jesus' life as he has one month to live. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62 says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I can tell you that as we see these scriptures, we see that Jesus was getting towards the end of his three years of ministry. At about 30 years of age, he launched into public ministry. His, his baptism by John the, the Baptist was his inauguration into his public ministry. But in the next three years, he would teach and he would minister to people. And as we look at verse 51, we see that he began to really focus knowing that he had one month to live. Look at it again, and if you'll, you'll grab a pen, I want you to circle the word resolutely. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, if you will take a look at your sermon notes, I have there this definition. Resolutely means firmly resolved or, or he was determined. He was set in a purpose. Jesus, knowing he was heading to Jerusalem, was set in his purpose. And it made me think about, as I read this, are you even 
uh, thinking about what your purpose is. Have you found it? Have you even thought about it? And I hope today as we go about the message, you will think about that. Well, I can tell you one person who found his purpose was from Lee Summit, Missouri. And what's interesting is that no one even knew who he was from 1979 to 2006. Uh, this, had a, this man had a heart to serve the Lord. He had a heart to help people. He really wanted to repay a debt that had been given to him nearly 30 years before that. And so over a span of 30 years, in increments of $100 and $1,000, he would just find people who were in need. He would go to Goodwill. He would go to the Salvation Army. He would go to a homeless shelter. He'd look around. He would see people who looked just destitute and really needed some help. And he would say, I hope this blesses you. And he'd give him a $100 bill. He'd go to uh, grocery stores and he'd see people who looked like they were just trying to find the necessities and really didn't have enough to get what their family needed. He'd say, here's $100. Or he'd really bless someone and he'd go, here's $1,000. It's estimated that he gave out $1.3 million over that 30-year span. He helped thousands of people. His name was Larry Stewart. We know him as the Secret Santa. And he had an opportunity to impact a number of people over those three, 30 years. He says this, he didn't even reveal himself until the last 30 days of his life. Apparently some tabloid was going to reveal who he was. They, someone had spilled the beans and basically said, here, let me, just, let me tell you a story. I'm dying, let me tell you my story. And so in that, in that uh, article, he says this, I had not found my purpose. Part of my daily prayer was, Lord, lift me up and let me be a better witness for you and somehow reach more people. He said, I had no idea this is what God had in mind. You see, Jesus was determined to get to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission and his purpose. You see, it was nearing the time where he had to be in Jerusalem to fulfill what we know was his ultimate purpose as we lead up to Easter, uh, to, to do what he and the Father had planned in time past, to, to save, to rescue, and redeem mankind. And we know that he knew this was coming. He gives several statements. If you look earlier in chapter 9 and 22 and 44, he talks about the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be persecuted, he's going to be killed, and he's going to raise again. So he knew this was coming. He knew what his mission and purpose was. And he loved us so much that he wasn't going to let anything get in the way, with that, uh, in the way of that plan, uh, especially uh, anyone. And, and one of his disciples, of course, was, was Peter. And earlier in Luke chapter 9, he kind of praises them. And then later, uh, we see in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, he gives them one of the harshest rebukes. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of this. Uh, the, the, the dialogue goes something like this. He had been revealing to his disciples what he was going to do, and Peter pulls him aside and says, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? This is never going to happen. We are not going to allow this to happen to you. And Peter gets the harshest rebuke. Jesus looks him in the face and says this, verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Nobody was going to get in his way. Nothing was going to get in his way. Now, as we look at the text and continue on, look at 90, uh, verse uh, 52 through 56 of chapter 9. We continue in the text, and it says this, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. 
So the text lets us know that it didn't matter if geography or hostility was in the way. Nothing was going to deter him. I don't know if you realize, if you've read some of the Old Testament, you realize that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. Uh, There was this uh, real hostility between the two of them. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this battle between KU and MU, maybe. You guys ever heard of maybe the little tension over the years between those two? Ever hear of a coach by the name of Storm and Norman who uh, didn't care much for, for KU or any Kansas school for that matter? He had such a hostility uh, towards KU in particular that whenever he would play, have to play at Allen Fieldhouse or you know, play somewhere in Kansas, he refused to let his team lodge, get gas, or dine in Kansas. You know why? He didn't want any of the tax money to support that school. That's how much he didn't like KU or any Kansas school. He didn't want to support them in any way. So Jesus, knowing there's this hostility, he don't care. He says, I've got to get to Jerusalem. I've got to accomplish. So he didn't let any obstacles or anything. Uh, He didn't let anybody who wasn't committed get in the way. And I want to share with you, you know what I found was I've read with one month to live for Jesus. I've found that the most important thing for him was to drive people into a deeper commitment. You get that? If you get one thing today, Jesus' most important thing for him to do in his last 30 days to live was to drive people to a deeper commitment. Because he knew looking forward, knowing that he was going to resurrect and then ascend to the Father and leave his followers behind, he knew that he was going to have to have people who who were really committed. He knew he'd have to have people who would carry on his work when he was gone. He had to have people who would say more than, hey, I love Jesus, Jesus is great. He had to have people that would then go serve him. Who would, who would carry on his mission. He, he had to have people who were passionate about reaching lost people, who were passionate about helping the poor, passionate about ha- hanging out with sinners and, and the people that maybe no one wants to hang out because that's who he would hang out with. That's the people that he would hang with. He had to have people who were passionate, uh, who would endure some hardships and some difficulties. He had to have people who would strive, strive for righteousness. I'm sorry, but too often today, I don't think people are striving for righteousness. Uh, he had to have people who loved God with all their heart, their mind, and their soul because he knew these people had to carry on what he was going to leave behind. I'm a part of a couple of men's groups, and we have a variety of men's groups here at the church. And if you're not involved in one, I want to encourage you to get one. I'm going to give you the opportunity at the end. You can sign up for one. But we have, we have one on Monday morning. We've got a couple on Monday night. We've got a couple on Tuesday night. We've got one on Thursday night. These are a great group of men, and we, we've been just studying the Bible. But we've been studying Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 1 in particular in my Monday morning group. We, we thought we'd get through it faster, but what do we get through? Three or four verses a week, guys. I mean, we, we're in it. We're learning. But in, 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 at the end of, of Colossians chapter 1, we see Paul expresses this same commitment that Jesus does about pushing people to be more committed, to be mature. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 1, 28-29. He says this, He, talking about Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul's desire was to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then he says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Are you committed like that? If today you're you're saying, you know what, I feel Jesus. I I feel him. He's leading me to a deeper commitment. I can tell that he wants me to have a deeper spiritual walk. 
What's holding you back? If today you're thinking, you know what, I know it. There's some next steps. They've been telling me about these next steps. I've got some next spiritual steps that I should be taking. What's holding you back? Because the question isn't if. It's not if Jesus is challenging you to do that. He is. Every single week we come to church, he's hoping each and every one of us is growing deeper in our spiritual walk with him. We have an amazing uh, set of volunteers at the church. Uh, the ones that I work a lot with are our, our campus support and, of course, Next Steps and, and our production team. And, and as we clear out at the end of the day, we have trailers. If you look out here, we've got two trailers that we load up. And then we've got these two big rigs, two trucks that will pull them uh, to a location off-site. And one day, one of the guys jumps in his truck. He starts to put it in drive. He starts to try to go, and it ain't budging. It is literally, I mean, these are, these are big trucks. They are literally, it's not budging. And so he, he calls me over. We take a look at it, and we figure out that something on the trailer hitch has busted so that the, the trailer brake is permanently engaged. We're like, what are we going to do? He's like, I can't drag this thing with the brakes on. This thing is huge. Now, fortunately, he is a fixer. And he figured it out. Uh, this thing wasn't moving. This trailer was holding that truck back. Nothing was going to budge it. So he got under there and handy little screwdriver, a little duct tape, and we had that baby, we had that baby fixed up. And you know, we fixed that problem of what was holding back that trailer. And you know what I want you to know? Jesus can fix what's holding you back. Jesus can fix whatever it is in your life that's holding you back from a deeper commitment. Now, before we read the remaining verses and really get to what I want to talk to you about today, I want to set up the scenario of Jesus traveling. I want, to, I want to kind of let you understand what is with him, who is with him. See, while he's heading to, to, uh, to Jerusalem and he's traveling, he has this group of followers with him. Now, we all know the 12 disciples. We think, well, yeah, it was those guys. Well, he had a whole lot more people than that that were with him beyond just the 12. And these followers had a, let's say this, they had a variety of intentions and they have a variety of level of spiritual commitment. Just like in this room. There are people that have a variety of different intentions about maybe why they're here today. Uh, maybe their level of spirituality is different. Uh, Jesus knows where that is. But see, some of the people following Jesus like the free food. Forgive me, I might have been one of those. I hope not, but that might have been me. Hey, this guy is dropping fish and bread. About every other day, he had just got done earlier in chapter 9. He had just fed over 5,000 people. So some people were following him with the, with the commitment of, follow that guy, you got food. I think some people had some maybe wrong financial intentions. We know Judas Iscariot. The Bible tells us that he would occasionally dip from the money bag. He had his own intentions for following them. This is what I think we see a lot of today. Some people like the spectacle and the spotlight of following something new and exciting. Let's face it, today everybody follows the latest trend. What's trending on Yahoo? What's trending in Twitter? What's trending on Facebook? And then next week, oh, that's old news. I'm following the, the latest thing that's trending. You know what I'm finding? People are not really committed to anything. And I think there were some people who were liking the spotlight and the spectacle of Jesus. So Jesus, knowing the hearts of all these people who's focused and he's on mission, he gets hit with what I want to call this uncommitted excuse train. And I'm going to explain to you what this was. This was an uncommitted excuse train that made up of three people who make some comments. They make some comments that help reveal to Jesus what's really on their heart. And that's what I want you to understand. Jesus knows the men's hearts. 
You and I read the Bible sometimes and we're like, I don't quite understand that. Well, we're not God. We don't know, we don't understand when we read Luke chapter 9 that Jesus knew the hearts of these men. That's why at times he gave them this kind of a harsh rebuke because he knew what was going through their mind. He knew what their real intentions were. Just like, you know, maybe you've had times in your life where you go, that's it, I've recommitted. I'm going to serve every week. I'm going to be in a small group. I'm never going to miss. God knows whether that's legit or whether that's not really coming from a heart of commitment. I don't know that, but Jesus does. And so as we look at these encounters, we learn a, a lot about the seriousness of the mission that Jesus is on. You, you get that? Based on what we see these interactions, we see how serious this mission that Jesus is on. We see Jesus transitioning from a real public ministry, ministering to these thousands, and he, he starts getting real focused on the highly committed people who are following him. Or he gets focused on kind of challenging people to take a deeper spiritual walk. The Marines are looking for a few good men, women. He's looking for a few. Jesus was looking for a few followers. He was looking for a few committed followers. So as we look at the, the remaining text here, I want, I want you to understand what I believe Jesus is trying to do here. I believe Jesus is addressing people whose mentality is this. I'll follow Jesus if. Man, I'll follow Jesus if, and let me, let me explain that. In person number one, I think would follow Jesus, this person number one on this excuse train, I think would follow Jesus if Jesus would give him something. Maybe you didn't see it. Well, let me explain. Jesus knows this man's heart. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Man, sounds like a superhero. Jesus, knowing this man's heart, says this, Foxes have dens, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I think Jesus, knowing this guy's heart, saying, look, the foxes and the birds, they've got a whole lot more possessions than I do. I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Are you willing to have a commitment like that? Are you willing to follow me knowing that I have nothing of material possessions to give you? I'm not promising you any kind of financial gain by following me. Are you sure you really want to do this? Jesus knew that man's heart. See, Jesus, if we look at the scriptures, we know that you and I, if we'll read our Bibles, we'll understand that God will tell us that he will take care of our necessities. He'll take care of us. Uh, if, if, uh, if I had an opportunity, if Mason was sitting here, I'd maybe, I maybe would engage him in what we do on the way to church on Sunday mornings. I've got a nine-year-old son who I love to death and who's when, on Saturdays. You know what he tells me? Dad, wake me up for church tomorrow. I can't wait to go to church tomorrow. And it, time changed. He didn't care. Dad, get me up. I'm ready for the morning. And so every morning on the way to church, I teach him scripture. We jam out to some praise music, and we fist bump about 50 times, and I tell him I love him, and I plug into him. That wasn't in my notes. I'm going to cry. But I love my son, and I want him to know that God will take care of him. So on the way to church, I've been teaching him Matthew 6, 33. And I'll say this, but seek first, and he knows to say, the kingdom of God. And I'll say, and, he knows to say, in his righteousness. And then I'll say, and, all these things shall be added to you. 
See, I'm teaching my son that he can depend on God, that God will take care of him. See, those verses are from the end of Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus had just challenged people, look, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about where you live. Don't worry about what you wear. Because guess what? If you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, talking about those things, will be added to you. I want my son to know that. I can tell you that I've learned over the years that God will take care of you if you will step out on faith to follow him and do what he's calling you to do. He'll take care of you. I gave my life to Christ as a real lost person. I don't have time to tell you my, my testimony, but it was far from God. I gave my life to Christ at age 23. I was an adult, man. I, was, I had a job for two years. I graduated from college and was in the business world and doing well and started to have God clean up some things in my life, started to work on some things. And along the way, I felt God calling me and pulling me into full-time ministry. And so I left the pharmaceutical industry where I had a good job, good benefits, great benefits, retirement plan, all of the invested 401k. You, you know the deal from day one, fully vested, all those great things. And I left it to follow Jesus. And I can tell you along the way, I've made some decisions. I sold a boat. That was a tough day. I can remember, Pastor Christian was one of the last people ever on that boat with me. I remember nearly every weekend at the lake. I can tell you along the way, I've depended on him, and he's taken care of us. I can remember when I first decided, guess what, I guess it's time to start giving. You know, the Bible tells me to give. I remember putting 20 bucks in thinking I was out of my mind. I remember putting 50 bucks in thinking I must be crazy. And then realizing, I can trust God. I can give him what he deserves, what he asked for, 10%. I can tell you that what's interesting is the decisions to live outside of the norm, outside of the normal life, and go deeper in my commitment with God were way before, happened way before I ever decided to go into full-time ministry by answering the call that God had given me. Way before I made those decisions. I can tell you Paul was a great example of this. He talks about in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. He says, I've gone with want, I've gone with need, but I've learned to be content in all things. And you know the verse we all love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We think that's like, I can accomplish anything. You know what he was talking about? I can be content in life, serving God. How? Christ gives me strength. So let me ask you, what's your drive in life? What is your drive in life? Is it for the luxuries of life? Is it for obedience to Jesus? That's a tough one. Is it for the luxuries of life or obedience to Jesus? You know, you know, might be saying, wait, I, I got to have my man toys. Come on, I got to have my, my shoe collection. I mean, what are you really saying? I've got to have my HD, 3D, LTE, I don't even, VCR, I mean DVD. I always get that wrong. Rick laughs at me every week. You said VCR again, man. I meant DVD. You know, for you, is the pursuit of possessions holding you back? It was for this guy, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew his heart. Person number two on this excuse train, I think would follow Jesus if Jesus didn't ask him to change his priorities. Luke 9, 59 through 60, he said, He said to another man, follow me. The guy replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Again, Jesus, knowing the heart and actually knowing the facts of the situation, says this, Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
And I'll explain something in a moment, but as a follower of Christ, you've got to realize that our walk with God has to become the priority of our life. It has to take precedence. Show me an example in the Bible where Jesus called someone to be a recreational uh, Christian. Show me an example in the Bible where God called someone to be a when-it's-convenient Christian. To be a, well, if I don't have to do too much Christian. If, if I'm not tired, if I'm not too busy Christian. Show me an example of that. He doesn't. He says, follow me. Now make no, no mistake, I don't want you to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He never taught us to forsake our responsibility to our parents or our families. At first look, you think, oh, it's harsh. No, in fact, in Matthew chapter 15, he rebukes some Pharisees because they say, well, I can't take care of my family because I gave all my money to the temple. And he's like, no, you've got it wrong, man. So he's actually rebuking them. He, wa- he wasn't saying that. This man's dad wasn't dead. He's just saying, I've got to stick around and help out for a long time. It's my excuse for not going and proclaiming the gospel. And it was a flimsy excuse that Jesus knew and he wouldn't accept it. I don't know how to better say it. Jesus didn't accept it. He said, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Kind of like, no excuses. How many of you have seen this show that I'm a little bit hooked on now, Restaurant Impossible? This guy who I, I think I'm nearly as buff as this guy, maybe not. This guy, this guy's huge. You see him, he's intimidating on the show and he gets real straightforward. His name is Chef Robert Irvine. And he goes into these restaurants that are literally falling apart. They're about to go bankrupt. They're, some of the marriages are literally on the brink. Their lives are really struggling. He goes into these places, and he gets real straightforward. He said, he'll taste the food and go, man, this food stinks. He's telling the chefs, and you can see the chefs just ticked off. And he'll tell the service waiters, this service is horrible. I just saw you walk out there and you like stuck the butter thing under your armpit right before you stuck it on. You know, he's like, this is horrible. What are you doing? And he'll say, look, this place is a dump. Don't you clean up? I'm, he gives these really straightforward critiques. Kind of like no excuses. But you know what's interesting? Every single time it's for the betterment of the restaurant and the betterment of the individuals. Every single time things get better for the people when they take these critiques and they start to make changes. So let me ask you, what have you, what have you felt Jesus late, leading you to make a priority, but yet you're, you're, you haven't responded? What excuses are in your life right now that are holding you back from doing what you know Jesus wants you to do? This guy, Jesus knew, was full of excuses. We look at person number three riding this excuse, uncommitted train. And I think he would follow Jesus if, if he was free to change his mind. Luke chapter 9, 61, 62 says this, Still another said, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus, knowing this man's heart, said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, if I'm a farmer and I'm trying to plow my field and I'm trying to get straight rows so harvest time comes, I'm, I'm not messing it all up. If I'm constantly trying to look back and be distracted, I'm going to have some real crooked rows. I'm probably going to have an unsuccessful harvest. It's the same thing for the the Christian who's always kind of looking back at, man, my old life was, I kind of like that. This this is hard. That was easier. This is is difficult. I'm not having as much, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to be distracted. A Christian who's always doing that or maybe thinking about giving up all the time. I know people are kind of like, I'm thinking about tossing in the towel. This walk with God is too hard for me. 
Let me, let me ask you this. How many of you can finish these sentences? A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. When the tough, when the going gets, the tough gets, I butchered that in the first service. Um, what I've found as I've read the Bible is that a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus has to be willing to accept some hardships, has to be willing to accept some, maybe some deprivation, some difficulty. There's going to be times where you might face some bitterness, some opposition. Things may not always go as easy as you think. You've got to realize Paul talked a lot about this. Our same, same uh, Bible study we looked at, Paul talked about having great endurance and patience. I still remember the great conversation we had about that, saying, guys, I want to be a Christian 50 years from now who's still serving God, excited about serving God. I've got to have some great endurance and patience. Look, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll read that and realize what Paul went through, being shipwrecked and beaten, guess what? We'd all wanted to quit. He was in prison. We all would have said, I don't know about this. What's interesting is you read Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah wants to quit. He's having this dialogue with God. And in this dialogue, he's like, how long do I have to continue to minister to this stiff neck and hard-hearted people? How long? Please. I want to quit. How long? But he's asking. And I like that. At least he was seeking the Lord. How long, God? And God responds later in the text. He says, keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. Don't quit. And guess what? Isaiah doesn't quit. Isaiah doesn't give in. And there may be some things you want to quit. There may be some things you want to give up on. Maybe it's too hard. It's writing the Bible's too hard. I don't understand anything. I don't quit. Lord, do you want me to quit? No. Okay, I get it. I don't know that I need to keep going to church every Sunday. Can I quit? No. Okay. What is it you need to seek the Lord about? Let me ask you, what, what is causing you in your life to look back? Is it a job? I'm always distracted by my, my job instead of doing a good job on my job, but also serving God to my fullest. Is it someone? Maybe someone in your life is distracting you, pulling you away from serving God. Is it laziness? Just hard, man. It's hard to get up and do that. You can't ask me to stay late to do that. You, I mean, you really can't expect. It's hard. Is it sin? There may be some things that are in your life that shouldn't be there. You know it. God knows it. And he's been trying to get you to get rid of it. Maybe it's sin that's distracting you from being fully committed to God. Maybe it's persecution. You know, we've prayed for our kids at school. There's going to be times where I know they're persecuted, and I want to be there to encourage them. You young people, I know you're going to be called Jesus freaks and Bible thumpers, and I know because I did that in high school. I called the table next to me the Bible thumpers. But you have to keep going and not give up. Is it attitude? You know, we all have times we've got to check our attitude and make sure we continue to go, not look back and get distracted. My question to you today is, when will you get tied in spiritually and determine that you are, I'm all in. I am locked in, I am tied in, I am all in to this following Jesus thing. Because I love him, because I owe my life to him. I had lunch with a, a guy just this past week, and we talked about really this within the body of Christ, that there's this group of people that I don't know, and, and really in the greater church world are not as, tied in or as committed as I believe Jesus would want them to be. And we, we kind of talked about this, and we were, you know, both 
a little discouraged, but encouraged. And I can remember I just challenged him. I said, look, be a leader. Be a leader within that group. Be a church. Serve. Be faithful. I said, be all in. Don't let anything hold you back. And maybe we can see a mini revival within that group. So we'll look around and go, wow, we've got a bunch more of that, that, that group. And wow, they're really impacting people. And boy, they're here every week and they're faithful. And man, we depend on them like crazy. Let me ask you, are you one of these three people? Are you? Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows mine and he knows yours. He knows whether you're really striving to be committed. He knows whether you're just kind of going through the motions. He knows whether or not you are really riding this same uncommitted excuse train that's really not where you know Jesus wants you to be. Maybe you have that mentality of, I'll follow Jesus if it's easy, I can have a good life, I can keep my luxuries. I'll follow him like that. I think we found that that didn't really suffice for Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, we finish up with some of the most convicting verses I ever read, and it challenged me every time. Luke 9, 23 through 26 says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Boom, bam, smack me in the face. I don't know about you, but I like it when I read the Bible and I'm kind of squirming. Kind of, oh, kidney shot. Oh, I needed that. That was it for me. Deny myself, take up my cross, follow me. With one month to live, I believe Jesus, looking forward, looking, into, looking forward into auditoriums all over this United States and all over the world, I believe Jesus, looking forward, was depending on you and I to carry on his mission. Not only was he committed to those who he was walking with in those last 30 days, but I knew, I, knew, I believe that he was looking forward to today and realizing that he needed the people in this congregation to be that committed. The secret Santa died in 2007. His legacy was so important that guess what? People are carrying it on. And now there are multiple secret Santas who have carried the banner on so they can continue to bless people and change people's lives just in a financial way. Certainly God has used that because many of them are believers who are doing that. But let me ask you, Jesus is looking to you and I to be all in and to figure out what's holding us back and leave it there. The question is, are you all in? Are you willing to shake what's holding you back? I want to have you take out your connection card as I look at the next steps as we conclude today. And I want to ask you this. What is it for you? What are your spiritual next steps? What are some things you know that God has been leading you to do, but for whatever, for whatever reason you haven't? I want you to take out this. Maybe for you it's salvation. And I will lead you in a prayer in a moment. If you have not had that opportunity to receive Christ, I will lead you in that opportunity to do so. But maybe it's baptism. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord months ago or years ago and you haven't followed through with getting uh, baptized. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you have been coming for a year or five years in church 
and you haven't really followed knowing that, you know what, I, 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 I probably have some gifts and I probably should use them. I want you to say, look, I, I want to get involved serving. I want to get baptized. There's a box you can check to do either one of those. Maybe you've been thinking God's been calling me to get out on the mission field forever and I've never done it. You see the people that went to India and go, man, I'd like to do that. Well, we have a trip to Guatemala coming up this summer. And we are taking applications. We've got information with our applications in the back. It was a life-transforming trip for many people last September, and we're taking an awesome uh, couple with us to lead that trip next year. And so if you are interested, mark it down, come by the next steps, take the application. I guarantee you, you will enjoy that trip. Let me ask you this. Have you, uh, have you identified maybe during this service what's holding you back? If not, this week. Figure out what's holding you back. Have you uh, committed to being all in? I hope by the end of the day, by the end of the week, you'll say, that's it, I get it. Jesus is depending on, yeah, me. He's depending on me. Well, let me have a, a moment of prayer, a moment of decision for those in this auditorium and those who are watching uh, on the web. Father, we love you, and I just want to pray right now with every head bowed and every person in a moment of prayer with God. If you have some things in your life that you've identified that are holding you back, that you know you're one of these people, but you don't know what to do to shake it, you don't know what to do to overcome it, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear God, help me, Lord. I want to be all that you want me to be. I want to be all in. I want nothing holding me back, but you know what it is in my life, and I need your help. I want to serve you. I want, I want Jesus to someday be able to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You've not allowed the wrong priorities or the, the wrong desires for possessions or, or distractions to hold you back. Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that that can be said of me, Lord. And Lord, there may be those today who've never given their lives to Jesus. I want to give them that opportunity right now. So if you're here today and you recognize that I've got, I've got things in my life that I don't know that I'm forgiven for, I don't know if I'd go to heaven, you can pray this prayer with me. I can't save you. The condition of your heart and a sincere prayer to God can. Dear God, thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for me. Yes, me, I get it now. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life and save me. Help me to live for you every day. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that one day when I do pass, I'll be in eternity with you. And I pray that I've done all that I can for you because of the grace you've shown me. Father, I want to pray for those in this auditorium now. I pray for every single person, those who just gave their lives to Jesus and those who've been Christians a while, but they have been held back by things they know are there. I pray that every one of us would walk out of here with a deeper spiritual commitment, that we would recognize some urgency. We may not think so. We think, well, 2,000 years have passed. What if we got 2,000 more? Who cares? Someone else will reach people. Lord, you've called us to be committed to reach people, to love them, to live lives to their fullest. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And with every head still bowed, please, in just a moment, 
If you're here and, and today you've made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would just pray that you would publicly acknowledge that now with no one looking around but me and just say, yes, today I gave my life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand for a moment. Just hold it up for a moment so that I can pray for you. Anyone here? Well, God bless each of you. And if you would, look up this way as we conclude our service today. I want to remind you, if you're here as our guest today, that we have these connection cards to better connect with you. So if you would take a moment and fill it out, maybe check some boxes if you would like to to grow in your faith, if you would like to get baptized. Again, if you would like to uh, be a part of uh, serving here at the church, just drop that in and let us know how we can minister to you if there's anything we can pray for you about. At our VIP uh, guest center there, we have some informational bags. On your way out, we'll have someone hand you a bag that has a free gift to you as our guest so please go by and get some information about our church we're uh, happy to share with you all that we're doing for the Lord Um, if our ushers would come forward and before we take our offering I want to remind you uh, those who are here know it but the first 12% of everything we take in goes back out in missions to help people across the community across the world Uh, so thank you for your giving your your giving impacts people and obviously helps us to uh, continue to to carry on church and, and reach people Jesus and strengthen them to be all that God wants them to be. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this offering. We give it to you. Lord, we are committed to you. We love you. We pray that you would take these gifts and use them for your glory. Pray that you would multiply them so we could reach many, many more people for your purposes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple quick announcements. As the ushers are passing the plates, you also saw a little uh, form in your sermon notes about Easter egg hunt, which is on March 30th. We're going to have a blast. Last year we had an amazing time. Slugger and Casey Wolf will be there. Uh, we're going to have 15,000 eggs, but we need your help. This is not only for you all, but it's for the community. And so we, we have some areas where we could use your help, whether it be parking or greeting or setting out some eggs, a variety of different things. Uh, if you can bring eggs with candy in them, with wrapped candy in them. We'll take bags of eggs, you know, if you want to give 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever you want to do. We're working towards our goal of 15,000 eggs. So that's on March 30th, the day before Easter. Also, as I said before, our Guatemala missions trip. Uh, I know they're going to put up uh, some information about our Guatemala missions trip there. Some of the, some of the slides from our trip we took uh, about uh, eight or nine months ago. The information for that is back at the Next Steps tent. If you have questions about it, we'd be glad to answer them. But it's a wonderful opportunity. We're going to be going to a soccer uh, academy and working with some young boys, trying to help them to become young Christian men. Uh, We'll go to an art class, teaching some people how to find their gifts and and find a career. We'll also be doing some smaller building projects, helping people maybe build a kitchen or or, uh, just improving their home that we have we will we'll sponsor with the giving you guys have given. We'll, we'll pay the $3,000 to build a home for someone down there. We'll be a part of finishing that up. So it's going to be a great opportunity. We hope you'll come and be a part of it. Pastor Christian will share some of the details of the India trip with you all next week when he's back to uh, uh, share sermon number two in this one month to live in the life of Jesus. But we're thankful that you uh, were here with us today. 
I don't know about you, but losing an hour of sleep, I didn't really look at it that way. I was so excited about being here today. I kind of looked at it like, hey, I'm one hour closer to getting to come see my friends, come share the word, and, and uh, hopefully uh, have some people impacted for Christ. Father, we love you. Thank you for these great people. We pray that you would lead them this week, use them, draw them into a deeper commitment for you. Help them as many of them maybe right now are wrestling in their minds about what that means. They're wrestling in their heart about what it will mean as they leave this place. Father, as you walked with me nearly 16 years ago, walk with them. Help them to become all that you've called them to be. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name.